I was here last week, but none of you showed up, and I was ready to deliver this message. So I'm going to tell you an ice story, because it's very appropriate today to tell a story about ice. My uh, children will appreciate this story, because it's not about them. Yes. In fact, this is B.C. days. This was before children. And we pulled up to the side of the church in our car, and we sat there and looked at each other and said, how are we going to do this without breaking your cherished meat platter that's in the back of the car? And so my wife was pregnant with our first, and we decided that she was going to go the safe route because the car was sitting on the church driveway, and it was a sheet of ice. And so she was going to get out and go across the grass, crunch, crunch, crunch. But I was going to be the faithful carrier of the cherished platter. And so I was going to hold on to the car, make my way to the trunk, open the lid, brace my knee against the car, and reach in and get the platter and hold the trunk door and shut it and take a couple steps onto the grass very gracefully. As you can imagine, the first step was not my best gymnastics move. Because all I remember is the feet went out from under me. And do you know what your arms do when you're headed down that fast? You're reaching out for something. And all I remember is I reached out this way with the platter and slammed it against the ice-covered And dozens of pieces of that cherished platter scattered across the lawn. It's good to be prepared even, even if things don't go the way you like, and even if the resulting emotions are not pleasant. It's good to be ready. It's good to be prepared. Some of you are not planners. Some of you just go by the seat of your pants. You don't plan at all. Others of you pull out a notebook and you diagram the plan and share it with your spouse. How do you handle change? How do you handle a crisis? How do you handle disappointment and the unexpected? Some of you love it. Some of you don't. And so today's passage is designed to help us Get ready for change. Last time you heard a message from Luke, Pastor Bill highlighted for you a timeline in Luke chapter 21, verses 7 through 28. Actually, several messages through those sets of verses. And it told you all kinds of amazing things that would happen in history. Starting with the Gentiles coming in and taking down Jerusalem and the temple. And then it talked about some violent things that would take place and some catastrophic disasters that would take place and even persecution of people who were religious, taking them in before judges and courts and all kinds of negativity. And what you sensed was is that within Luke 21 is this dynamic battle between good and evil between God who is doing great things and between Satan who is bringing on counterfeits and opposition and resistance to God and believers in the world. There is this great battle that's going on 
and the playing field is this world and you're on it. And being prepared for the coming of Jesus helps you to focus on how to respond to the change and the crisis and the emotions that you face when things are not the way you would like it to be. Many times things are not stable, but this is what we're excited and looking forward to. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift your heads because your redemption draws nigh. That you're getting excited about the coming of Jesus Christ. But you live in a world where that excitement is limited to the church sphere and the Christians that you associate with out in the community. Otherwise, you don't feel or hear about this excitement. This is something that a believer in Christ looks forward to. And therefore, that helps you live in this world ready for His coming and ready to respond to the change. Today, we look at three ways to get ready for the change. Being prepared for Jesus' coming. You're in part of that human history that this passage is talking about. How are you going to respond to the changes that you experience socially, financially, geographically, safety, and otherwise? So we look at these three ways to be prepared. The first thing is to simply know that the kingdom of God is near to you right now. You know, we usually talk about this kind of like you do at seminary. Uh, the Bible talks about it. We hear it. We affirm it. We believe it. We nod. And then we go home. But I notice that this passage is God's trying to get through to you and me. It was kind of fun to experience it. He's trying to say, I want you to personally know that his kingdom is near to you now at this time in human history, the, the time that you've been placed on this earth. And so in Luke 21, starting in verse 29, he tells them the parable of the deciduous trees. And you're going, I've never heard of a parable called the deciduous trees. Usually they call it the parable of the fig tree. But when I read this passage, the fig tree is just one of many trees. And so we read, he told them this parable, behold, the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, that is, they bloom, they bud and the leaves are forming, you see it and you know for yourselves that summer is now near. And he's trying to tell you about these worldwide events that lead up to the coming of Christ, that as you look back on them, you can recognize them, you can study them historically, and you can go, wow, that is cool. That makes me confident in the Bible, in prophecy, that God actually spoke through these prophets, and these things have started to come true, but there's still more to anticipate. And so it's just like anticipating the coming of summer when you see these leaves coming on, you know that it's going to form shade trees. And if you've ever been around a fig tree, I live in a community, a neighborhood that has a bunch of them in all different stages of growth. And one is very mature. And when it produces fruit, 
it is really fruitful. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, the owner puts a sign up saying, free figs. And people will just stop by there and pick a box full of figs. And I'll go down there and I'll take one and I'll peel it and I'll bite into that amazingly sweet fruit. I don't really get into the texture, to be honest with you, but the sweetness is incredible. And he's trying to help you see that the kingdom of God is impacting you. It's near you, and he's trying to speak to you. And he's trying to say that when you see these things happen on this timeline in Luke 21, you recognize that the kingdom of God is near, and it's near to you. And it makes a difference in your life and how you think about your purpose and meaning in life. We oftentimes think of a kingdom as a white house or a palace, and we think of guards, and we think of military, and we think of power, and we think of machine guns and bombs and all kinds of equipment that's used as part of a kingdom that shows power and does its thing. But this is a different kind of kingdom than that power. This is a kingdom, quite frankly, that when he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities, for I was sent for this purpose, is a kingdom that talks to you about a message. It's speaking to your mind about your value system, your life, how you live, and what's, what's important to you. What's your purpose and meaning in life? And while Jesus was on earth earlier in the Gospel of Luke, it records that he said, I've got to go out and share this message with people. And it's amazing how that message affects people. When you share it with your friends or your coworkers, and they pay attention to it and they start thinking about it and assessing it, it, it speaks to their mind. It starts to capture their imagination. They start asking questions. They start to come to church or read their Bible and their attitude starts to shift because now it's gone from here into their heart. And very soon after that, you start hearing about how this heart change that's going on and how they're thinking differently about the world and their worldview and the purpose and meaning of their lives. This is a message that transforms people from the inside out. And if you've ever wondered why your outside focus isn't satisfying your inside heart desires, is because you need the message of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in your mind in order to make the shift from being an outward external performer to becoming a lover of God in your heart. It's more than a message. It's a transforming power. And so we saw in Luke 11, but if I cast out demons by just the finger of God, not the arm of God or anything else, it's, it's a metaphor here for just simply a small part of God can actually cast out a demon. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
And he pointed out that the kingdom of God frees people from bondage. It frees them from false thinking. And it even frees some people who have contacted spirit, this spirit world, demonic powers, and have relied on demonic powers and are influenced by that and have some oppression going on, that Jesus even cast out those demons and those people, and the kingdom of God came upon them, and they were free indeed. It's a different kind of kingdom that we think of the kingdoms of this world, and he wants to encourage you with the kind of king, the kind of ruler he is of his kingdom. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Well, where's the encouragement here? He's saying that this generation he's speaking of, and we'll define that soon. Pastor Bill did it a couple weeks ago for you. We'll review it. Will not pass away until all things take place. And therefore, when God makes promises, He precisely and completely fulfills it. So when you read your Bible, when you read the promises in there, when you read this prophetic timeline in Luke 21, it's saying that everything will be precisely and completely fulfilled. And some of it already has. And some of it is yet to come. And you're in this timeline. The generation he's speaking of is not what is sometimes thought of as one person's lifespan. Sometimes it's viewed as around 40 years. But we read earlier, a few verses earlier, where Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This is talking about the Gentiles, you and I, coming into God's kingdom through this church structure that he designed, becoming believers, and that millions of people of all different nationalities and races would come to believe. This is the times of the Gentiles, and they're being fulfilled. You're part of it. And so it's not a generation of a lifetime It's a generation of an age where a people, all Gentiles, are invited into this amazing church that God has designed. He encourages you with a second thing about this kingdom that's so near. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And now he's encouraging us by telling us, when you read the word of God, when you listen to the word of God, It's permanent. It's good for the past generation that has passed away. It's good for you right here and now. And it will be for your great-grandchildren in the future. It will still be the same word. And you can read it. And you can live it. And it will work in your life. It's not like some politician getting up and trying to buy your vote. And then they don't do what they say. This king... This King of King and Lord of Lords keeps His words, and His words are always happening and sustainable for you and the next generation. And so know that this kingdom of God, you're part of it by faith in Christ, and you get to experience this confidence 
in his word, in his promises, that he will fulfill them completely and that they'll always be relevant and valuable for your life application. So when change comes, the one thing that doesn't, actually two things that don't change, is Jesus and his word. You can live on it, you can bank on it, and it will transform you. Second thing you can do to prepare for great change, to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ ultimately, is to guard your heart from diversions. Isn't it interesting that he wants you to know something positive, and next he warns you about something negative that you could go sideways on on God with. And so he's trying to point out how we can get distracted and diverted and actually substitute something for our reliance on God on a daily basis, and the result is something not healthy. He highlights some of these things by prefacing it with, be on your guard. And there's the Greek word for protecting something and preserving something. Your life, your spiritual life, what, how you think, how you're feeling, is valuable and it's worth guarding. And when the Greek talks about a person's heart, it's talking about the inner person that we were referring to a few minutes ago. The part of your thought processes, your emotions, your desires, even your attitudes. You got to guard it because they can come under attack. And you're sitting there thinking, that happened to me. It may have happened to you coming to church by some kind of spat you had with your parents or your spouse. It may have been something this week that took place that just kind of blew you away and you go, what was that? What happened? So strange. What did I do? Just all of a sudden, life has changed and now there's this turmoil. Perhaps there is an attack that's taking place and you need to guard your mind, your will, and your emotions because if you don't, here's the result you will be weighed down. And to be weighed down means that you feel the pressure of something on you that's weighing heavy. That you are distressed about something. And what happens is, is that you face a choice at that moment. How are you going to fix it? How are you going to deal with it? And here's the three ways he's saying don't deal with it. The first way is dissipation. I never use the word dissipation, do you? That's just not in my vocabulary. I had to look that thing up. That's a term that identifies a person who chooses to go off in kind of a hedonistic, just let yourself go and do whatever you want kind of a lifestyle. Uh, I've heard it this way hey, I'm just tired, I'm just weary, I'm just looking for fun. I'm just looking for fun wherever I can find it. And they just go out searching for it, and they just don't realize that they're trying to find trouble. Because this word for dissipation can mean nausea. In other words, it's not just the pursuit of hedonism, 
but it's the effect, the after effect of what you experience by giving yourself over to it is this nausea and you feel sick about it. You feel, don't feel good about it. In fact, you may not even feel good about yourself after you've gone there. And so he's saying, don't divert to pleasure-seeking to try to make yourself feel better. The second thing he says is don't divert to drunkenness. And I, I just thought of how many people that I've cared about have gone there. And they've gone to a little bit of alcohol, maybe socially, and then it became just a little bit more and a little bit more, and finally they were getting drunk. And they didn't remember the next morning what they did the night before. And that can be really embarrassing. (laughs) And that can be really sad when you find out what you did and you're not proud of it. And people who go to drunkenness oftentimes go there because they're looking to escape. And so where dissipation is trying to divert away from the true answer, drunkenness is trying to not even explore an answer. It's just trying to get drunk and to forget it and get out of your head and get off the planet. But the can I just emphasize this for those of you who might be struggling with this? The bottle does not love you. The bottle doesn't love you. But I can tell you that your loved ones do. And it's hurting them. Very few people haven't felt the pain of a loved one who's gone there, this this place. And then the third thing he says, don't go off into the world of anxiety. You know what worries of this life are? It's trying to take control of the things you can't control so that you can worry more about those things. It is. 90%, they did research on this, 90% of a test group of people who had worries over a period of several years, they found that 90% of their worries never materialized. It never happened for them. And so they expended all this time worrying about non-real things. And so Jesus is warning us about going to these three apparent solutions that really, when you come to your senses, when you wake up the next morning, when you suddenly get tired of worrying about stuff that you can't control, he's saying they don't solve anything for you. And that the day, and the day he's referring to here is the day of his coming, will not come on you suddenly like a trap. It can also be translated a snare. In other words, you were totally caught off guard and captured by one of these three ways of false solutions for your problems, escapism. And when Jesus comes, you're not ready to celebrate His victory coming. 
you've got caught up in the world's methods of escape and avoidance, and you haven't solved, and you're not ready to celebrate. And so guard your hearts, because if you don't, you're going to get weighed down, and other people in your life will feel the same thing through you. And here's why it's so important in the last days, in this times of the Gentiles that we are in right now, to be prepared. It's because a lot of these big events affect everybody. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. You will not be able to avoid the environmental factors. You will not be able to avoid even the social pressures. You will only choose how you're going to respond to it from the inside out. And he's trying to encourage us to be prepared in the right way for when these things come. And the third way that you can be prepared for great changes, the unexpected, what feels like chaos, and actually sometimes chaos is an opportunity for you to connect with God closer, is to be alert and pray and listen. And I know we talk about prayer, and Jesus, this is Jesus' week where he's getting prepared for the great work of crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. And what's he doing? Well, let's talk about it. He says, keep on the alert at all times, praying so that you may have strength. And so sometimes we just simply are not alert and we get caught off guard. Would you be willing to take on a new mindset called 24-7-360? That as you go through each day as a believer in Christ, 24-7, you actually stop and say, now wait, what's, what's going on in my life right now? And uh, you do a survey of your life, 360, and you just ask God, what's going on? What do you want me to see about it? And how do you want me to respond to this? 27, 24-7, 360. Keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to do what? Well, first of all, he says, to escape all these things. And if you go back to verse 7, clear up to what we're looking at now, you will find a whole list of things, environmental things, uh, financial things, uh, religious conflict, uh, turmoil, uh, persecution, uh, fear, terror, it even says. All these things are happening during these times. And the question is, are you getting caught up in them or are you escaping the traps that are there within those environments and the pressures you face? You can escape those. You don't have to be caught up in them but you have to be alert in order not to get caught up in them. And then he says, in Titus 2, 11 through 13, God says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, 
worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And so he's helping us, how, telling us how to escape and what to escape. Don't get caught up in it. Instead, stand before the Son of Man. And last week we saw in verse 28 that we're supposed to lift our heads up to the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, we're ready for His coming. Where the world is trying to hide in caves and run away from God and avoid God any way they can, God is saying if you're prepared, you're ready to stand, to literally stand instead of run and hide. You stand because you're confident and you're ready for His coming. And that's pretty exciting stuff. Are you looking forward to that? And the reason you can stand confidently is because Peter tells you that you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's imminent. It's coming. It's not if it's going to happen. It will happen. And he wants you to be ready for his coming. You are protected for that time. And then he tells you something else about why you can be ready. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. What happens when Christians make bad choices is that the natural consequence is that they feel bad about it, about their choice and behavior. God doesn't want you to stay in that guilt and shame condition. He wants you to stand in the presence of His glory blameless, knowing that you're forgiven. And some of you want that feeling back. You want to know that that's happened to you. And these verses assure you that He's able to keep you and to make you stand in the presence of His glory with great joy. Along with praying, here's what you must do. You must listen, because prayer without listening is like shouting out in the forest without expecting anybody to say anything back to you. If you're talking to God, you should expect God to get back to you, to show up. So now during the day, Jesus was, first of all, teaching in the temple, so apparently, he was starting fairly early because we know that the temple had formal scheduling at the prime time hours. So it's most likely, based on the last verse here, that they were getting up early in the morning, that this may be as early as 6 a.m. in the morning, that he was teaching in the temple area. And so here is his, first of all, here's his public ministry. And you have a public life, just like he does. And then in the evening, he would go out and spend the night on the Mount of Olives, which from Jerusalem is down a valley and up onto the next ridge. And it's a long ridge system that runs uh, along Jerusalem. And so he got away. And what do you need to have balance in your life? You need to get out sometimes, and you need to get away and you need to spend the night away from all of this busyness of the public business day. 
Some of you are so exhausted, you're vulnerable. Uh, your, your spouse probably knows it because usually when we're tired, our spouse experiences our moodiness or our curtness, our shortness, our, our lack of patience. And so it is very important for you to have balance in your life in order to live your life prepared. And it says that, and all the people would get up early in the morning. That intrigued me. His teaching was so interesting, so important, that people would sleep less in order to listen to him more. And so here we have three parts of our lives that bring balance and strength. You need to be exposed to biblical teaching And it's so good when there's a good teacher, and I appreciate Pastor Bob and Pastor Bill because I just love listening and gleaning and hearing from all their studies what they've learned, and it helps me connect the dots to learn a lot, uh, to to be different, to know what God is saying in that Word. And so you need exposure to good biblical teaching, but you need some rest You need some getting out and getting away and spending some time maybe just praying or maybe just resting or going fishing or taking your Bible out in the woods, wherever you need to go to to have a private time so that you could get rejuvenated. And then you need to just pick up your Bible and start reading the Gospels and reading the whole Bible through and just listening to what God wants to say to you. And that's going to give you balance and strength so that you are ready for the change that comes. When I hit the pavement after my feet went out from under me and the platter broke in a bunch of pieces, I felt bad instantly. I was shocked. I was sad. I was a little bit worried. But I looked up at Susan, and she said, Are you all right? And it made me feel like a million dollars because she wasn't thinking about the platter. So are you worried about the platter in your life that's broken? Are you focused and trying to go off on these diversionary efforts to escape, to cover up, to forget, to avoid? Or are you willing to engage God with the life He's given you right here and now and to say, God, I want to be ready and I want to live every day ready as though you're coming so that I'm not caught off guard? Lord Jesus, thank You for... Uh, speaking to us about relevant things. It's interesting how uh, first century culture, they tried lots of solutions that really weren't. And now we come to you and ask that you would be our solution, that we would look forward to your coming and live each day ready as though you're coming today and to be excited about walking with you, being the king of our kingdom and that we are encountering you on a daily basis in a personal way, both through our experiences 
and through prayer and through reading the word and experiencing the difference you make. In Jesus' name, amen.